The jury is seated in the Derek Chauvin trial, which means that we will start to see those fireworks next week. That is, unless some disaster comes up in the United States that keeps our attention off of it, i.e. the Atlanta shooting or the Boulder shooting. Just Tane, watch, what uh, watch what's coming out of your media here. In other news, Joe Biden names Kamala Harris as the climate czar, the Ninth Circuit, comes out with a pretty shitty ruling, and we'll talk a bit about what's going on there. And Washington football team may be around forever. That's right, they may not even try to find a new name anymore. Barcode, generic, let's go. Hey, 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 do you trust the plan yet? I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to con As There's my Joe Biden thing right off in the early morning again. Come on, man. Welcome to, to go, the, the thing, man. I'm sorry about that. Welcome to Contemporary. My name is Jay Edgar. We've got to talk about some stuff today. There's uh, There was some stuff going down here, and I looked into it because it was a little bit of a slow news day just to see what was going on with the Chauvin trial because, you know what? In the wake of uh, the, de or the Atlanta shooting and the Boulder shooting, it seems that somehow that came out of the top of everybody's mind as juries were being seated and uh, people were talking and discussing back and forth who was going to be on the jury, who wasn't going to be on the jury, and why these particular people were dismissed from the jury or accepted into the jury status here. I don't even know at this point, and I will admit that I got swept up in the news as well and was not able to cover what was going on in the Chauvin trial, that I have no idea how they landed at 14 jurors at this point and how many people they actually went through. But we'll talk a bit about this here and the Minneapolis Autonomous Zone as well, along with some other things going on in the news, including this dismal, abysmal decision coming out from the Ninth Circuit Court. It's going to be all of this and more over on Contemporary. Before we get started, remember that we are doing a 24-hour live stream on April 17th, just confirmed somebody who is also mentioned in The Things I Like and Things I Hate Today, Brady Leonard from Southbound Fearing and the No Gimmicks Podcast, will be joining us. He will be coming on. He'll be talking. He won't be able to do some music, unfortunately. He, uh, I asked him about that. We are still looking for a few musical guests to try and break up some of the interviews and you know give you a little bit of entertainment along with just... Uh, 24 hours of talk radio here so hopefully we'll get a couple more people i've reached out to a few more including i know it was a reach but one really big name i reached out to i won't tell you who until it gets up well maybe i will i'll decide at the end of the show if, uh i'm going to tell you who i reached out to or not maybe you guys can add them and see if they'll come on the show but head on over there being featured will be myself and all of the freedom scoop people elaine will be on helping me breaking up some of this to make sure that I can get some breaks and some food throughout the day. We'll also have the generational gap, the daily ignoramus, the breakdown with Birkenhoff, the R-rated conservative, and uh, no freckles and Brit though. Not for that day, but you can still go and check them out. They will be transmitting tomorrow on their new time, so go and check out the Freckles and Brit show tomorrow night. But otherwise, bookmarkfreedomscoop.com. So once we get back up and running, we will be premiering the new website. On that day, you can go over there and pick up some of our swag and help us support great creators. All right, looking in at finance here, as you guys probably saw at the start, which has just changed because it reset to start counting for the new day here. The Dow went up throughout the majority of the day. It had a very sharp spike 
stayed steady, and then it just started to falter throughout the day, ending actually just slightly lower, like 30 points lower than where it began the day. So we'll talk probably a bit about in uh, uh, Investor's Business Daily as to what happened and why that dropped. But, I mean, if you go look at the finance, everybody else stayed down throughout the day. So the Dow was the only one that actually went up. Everybody else was just down dead throughout the day. It was a low day for stocks once again, which means that uh, we've got some wariness as to where the economy is going to go and where consumer spending is going to go here. The big news, though, is the Bitcoin because that dropped off like a fucking stone yesterday from 56000 U.S. dollars to 51211 U.S. dollars and 30 cents. There are a few things that are going along with that, including the retailer trading mania is going away, and other people are talking about the fact that this may get banned even in the United States. So definitely something to look for, watch for, and see if maybe this comes with a black market, or maybe it's just the Treasury doesn't want to fucking deal with it. I know the Treasury is looking at their own digital currency at this point, too, so... That may be one of the reasons that we're starting to see the dip in that. But we will watch that as it goes along. And if a major news story comes up about it, then we will definitely jump into it and figure out what's going on with it. A <clears throat> little bit of a reversal and a correction from me as well, because I said that the gas was going to start going up more and more as we got into the travel season. And a lot of other people thought that, including the fact that it's over double what it was in June of last year. I know a lot of people say, well, gas goes up in a... Uh, in the summer because people travel more. Well, it was 97 cents in June last year. So we're over double that at this point. But still, we had one in Columbus, Wisconsin, drop down to 249 per gallon. Now, if you're using Madison as your benchmark, I will say this because I'm sure that not everybody knows the geography. If you are going to Columbus, you're going on a hike just to get 249 gas. So, like, this doesn't help the people in Madison proper. But it is considered the Madison area, so that is going to be the lowest price in the Madison area. Everybody else still hovering around the 253 mark. Let's look at what the investors have to say. From Investors Business Daily, starting off. Dow Jones futures fall as market rally breaks key levels. RH jumps on earnings as Nike faces China backlash. Tesla keeps sliding. From Ed Carson. Dow Jones futures turn lower Thursday morning, along with S&P 500 futures and NASDAQ futures, reversing from modest gains. RH, Grow Generation, rallied on earnings late Wednesday, while Dow Jones giant Nike sold off amid a social media backlash in China. The stock market rally had another rough session Wednesday, with the major indices closing at session lows. The Dow Jones erased a solid gain, while the S&P 500 undercut a key level. The Nasdaq fell below 13,000 applied materials, briefly cleared a buy point, while several chip gear peers also rose on Intel spending plans. But even they faded in the close. The current market environment has not been healthy for active investors. In fact, it's the worst possible market. It's the worst market, okay? I could have given you the best market. But the China virus, sometimes called the Kung flu, okay? It broke the records that I was setting, and it was me, all me, my records, okay? I called them our records while I was present, but they were my records, and Sleepy Joe is just running the worst market ever, okay? 
In Las Vegas, the casinos have to pay out on slot machines enough to keep gamblers pulling that lever. If the slots never had winners, people would stay away. In the current market rally, breakouts are occurring, so that draws investors in. But those bre recent breakouts or early entries are struggling, with stocks either tra uh, treading water, slowly falling to sell zones, or suddenly plunging. The general market has been moving sideways to lower for the past week while rotating into and out of various sectors. That makes it hard to make any headway. Tencent Music Entertainment crashed 27%, plunging below its recent buy point, and then its 50-day line. It was a bad day for China stocks. With NEO, JD.com, and Tencent stock falling 10%, 5.3%, and 5.1%, respectively. Tencent's music parent, Tencent, topped earnings views early Wednesday. Vipshop, which has been far above any buy point, plummeted 21%. China has proposed requiring internet firms to house their customer data in a government joint venture, because why wouldn't they? China's central bank also is reducing liquidity boosts, a drag on stocks. Highly valued growth stocks outside of China were notable losers. Tesla fell 4.8%, continuing to slide from its short-term highs. And a key moving average, CEO Elon Musk, said early Wednesday that people can now buy a Tesla with Bitcoin, which fueled a brief morning rise in Tesla stock and the Bitcoin price, but Bitcoin reversed lower. The good news is that Tesla stock and most other big 2020 winners have been seriously damaged, so they shouldn't have tempted investors in recent weeks. Tesla shares fell 2% early Thursday. All right, we got to look what the futures are on this one here. Otherwise, I can just read statistics all day, and I love statistics. But I know that makes for a little bit of a dry show. On the futures. Dow futures fell 0.2% versus fair value, reversing from slim gains. S&P 500 futures sank 0.35%. NASDAQ 100 futures retreated 0.3% after being up 0.5% not long before. The Dow Jones may test its 21-day line near the open while the S&P 500 could hit its 50-day line. The Nasdaq is below both levels. Nike stock is a drag on Dow Jones futures amid a backlash in China. Chinese social media erupted with criticism of the athletic apparel giant's statement that it's concerned about the forced labor in Xinjiang, and it does not use cotton from Western region. Home to the ethnic Uyghurs. Okay. Well, there's so much reflection on my glasses, you couldn't see me wink off of that one, but... And that, it, uh, that comes on the heels of similar anger for apparel retailer H&M. Nike stock fell 5% early Thursday after sinking 3% on Wednesday. And of course, what we talked about yesterday, the critical Suez Canal remains blocked from a container ship that's run aground. It's possible that it could remain stuck for weeks, crippling global cargo traffic. So that's all tying into what's happening around the world and in our stocks here. Because if you can't transport your goods, nobody can buy them. Uh, one last one here, the 10-year Treasury yield dipped one, uh, to 1.6%. Crude oil prices fell modestly, the dollar rose especially versus the dollar. And remember, overnight action in Dow Futures and elsewhere doesn't necessarily translate into actual trading in the next regular stock market session. Alright, that's what we're seeing from IBD here. A lot of stuff going on there. Let's take a look at MarketWatch and see what they have going on here. Dow poised for a slight gain as stock market aims to avoid third straight drop. From Mark to Camber. 
U.S. stocks were indicated modestly higher on Thursday as the main benchmarks look to snap a two-day skid that has come even as a rapid rise in borrowing costs reflected in surging government bond yields has cooled somewhat. Early action will see investors focus on U.S. weekly jobless benefit claims data and a fresh read of fourth quarter gross domestic product, which would provide the latest update on the state of the pandemic wounded economy. Yeah, that's the other thing we got to watch today because your unemployment's due today. So we'll sit back and see how many new jobs we lost this week. Almost a million jobs a week still, though. That still blows my mind. Futures for Dow Jones were trading 80 points or 0.2% higher at 32,399. This must be old information because IBD just told me the exact opposite. <clears throat> yeah, literally, this is all exactly the opposite of what IBD just told us. On Wednesday, the Dow Jones closed three points lower, virtually unchanged at 32,420.06 after having a sharp rise throughout the day. The S&P 500 fell 21.38 points or 0.6%, ending at 38.89.14, while the NASDAQ composite shed 265.81 points to finish up at 12,961.89, a decline of 2%. In the small caps, Russell 2000 shed 51.42 points, or 2.4%, ending at 21,34.27. Markets have wobbled in recent days, while investors attributing some of the decline to quarter-end rebalancing and a choppy rotation in and out of sectors that are expected to perform better when the economy stages a more pronounced recovery from the commie fucking coup. Though bond yields have slipped in the past week on growing concerns about extended COVID lockdowns in Europe, the rise in yields so far this year is expected to lead to a substantial selling of stocks and buying of bonds as funds rebalance. Asfia Salim, European rate strategist at Bank of America, was quoted as saying in the Financial Times, some $88 billion is slated to be shifting from equities to bonds, Bank of America estimates. So... Go buy your government stuff. The government needs your money because they just wrote a big-ass fucking check that they can't cash. So please, please go buy a bond. I wouldn't buy a bond if you... If I got a 300% return on a bond, I would not buy a bond right now. Because I don't trust the U.S. dollar or the U.S. government to honor its pledge at this point. I would go nowhere near a bond right now. That is not official financial advice. Check with your accountant and your official financial advisor before you decide whether or not you would buy bonds but this guy right here would not buy a bond right now not well i guess i wouldn't buy a bond for most places because i feel like that would be kind of a conflict of interest for me but just looking at the markets and the way they're inflating their way out of everything i would not go anywhere near a bond right now nowhere near it but check with your financial advisor and see what is best for you all right let's look into the news of the day Starting with one from ABC News. Full jury seated in trial of former police officer Derek Chauvin from Bill Hutchinson. Looks like there's an advertisement from Ben Crump Law too because, hey, he will be right there as soon as he sees something that he can grift off of and make a bunch of fucking money on. This is from Bill Hutchinson. A full jury has been seated in the murder trial of Derek Chauvin, the white former Minneapolis police officer, charged in the death of 46-year-old black man George Floyd during a May 2020 arrest that ignited protests nationwide. We are not even going to go over the propaganda of us. You know what's happening here. The white police officer who killed the unfortunate black man. Sob story. Let's go burn down a fucking city. 
and then let the mainstream media tell us that it was a mostly peaceful protest with burning buildings in the background. The panel of 12 jurors and three alternates was finalized on Tuesday morning after defense attorneys, prosecutors, and the judge presiding over the case in Minneapolis spent 11 days questioning a pool of potential jurors on everything from their thoughts about racial inequalities of the justice system, the Black Lives Matter movement, and whether they had formed any preconceived notions about the Chauvin guilt or innocent. Hennepin County District Court Judge Peter Cahill decided last Friday not to move the trial's location nor delay the proceedings. I think the pre-trial publicity will continue no matter how long we continue it, he said, adding, I don't think there's any place in the state of Minnesota that has not been subjected to an extreme amount of publicity in the case. Furthermore, and I know that they can't move it out of state, in spite of the fact that, really honestly, I think they should, just given the conflict of interest that's going on here, that definitely should be done in like Idaho or North Dakota, but... Even there, with the standard that they put forward, I don't think that you could find a place in this country that hasn't been tainted by preconceived notions, given what the mainstream media has told us at this point. Cahill said one of the jurors will likely be dismissed on Monday because there's only room in the courtroom for 14 members of the panel. The whole point of this 15th juror was to make sure that we have 14 people show up on Monday, Cahill said. The latest juror picked is a married accountant in his 20s who is self-identified as a white man. With the complete jury selected, there are nine jurors who self-identify as white and six who self-identify as people of color, including four who self-identify as black. What is this self-identify bullshit? They include a nurse, a route driver, a social worker, a client advocate, and a commercial insurance business, an internet technology specialist, a retired grandmother with an undergraduate degree in childhood psychology, a woman who said she is super excited to be on the case. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at that. Um, have you guys ever seen Let's Go to Prison? It's a Will Arnett and Dax Shepard movie that I believe was originally broadcast on HBO. I don't know if it was ever in theaters or anything. It's kind of a kind of a B movie, but the premise of the story is Dak Shepard's character is telling the story of how he got cheated by the justice system numerous times. Essentially, he's been in and out of prison for his entire life, um, and he's just going through the opening, talking about uh, how the justice system sucks. And he was talking about juries and one of the the old actors in the beginning, you know, talking about how people get excited to be on juries and. The one guy says, I just, I'm so excited to be on the jury. It's like court TV, except I'm in the court. If you guys haven't seen that movie, I really recommend watching it. It's, it is hilarious. It's one of the eight movies I've ever seen in my life too, by the way. That's, that's what I thought of as soon as I saw super excited to be on the case. It's like court TV, except I'm there, except I'm doing a part of it. Civil rights attorneys Ben Crump and Antonio Romanucci, who are representing Floyd's family, released a following statement following the jury announcement, saying, We are pleased that the jury has been seated and the Chauvin trial can proceed. After hearing the facts, we hope and expect the jury to deliver a just verdict. No, no. That's not what you're looking for, Ben Crump and Antonio Romanucci. We expect the jury to deliver our verdict. Because, hey, 
Otherwise, we're going to start burning your cities down. You don't want your city to burn down, do you? They cited the prosecution's key piece of evidence, a bystander video showing Chauvin with his knee on the neck of George Floyd for a prolonged amount of time as three officers held the handcuffed 46-year-old Floyd prone on the ground as he cried out, I can't breathe! Mama! This is not a hard case. George Floyd had more witnesses to his death than any other person ever, white or black. There is a certain segment of the population of 1930s Germany that would like a word with you. We all saw the same thing, the indisputable and unjustified torture and murder by a police officer of a black man who was handcuffed, restrained, and posed no harm. If George Floyd had been white, the facts would have been undisputed and justice would be swift. We expect the same for George. Once again, going back to what I said about Ben Crump and Antonio Romanucci, no, we don't expect a just verdict. We expect the verdict we tell you to deliver. Be ashamed if something happened to your family's homes. During the jury selection, two jurors had been chosen for the panel were removed from the case after inadvertently seeing or hearing about news reports that the city of Minneapolis had reached a $27 million settlement with Floyd's family. The two dismissed jurors said the announcement affected their ability to remain impartial and decide the case based solely off the trial evidence. I would have wiped the entire panel right there. Done. And started all over again if it was me and I was Judge Cahill. Everybody would be gone and we'd be starting that shit right over. Cahill also said Friday he did not believe pre-trial publicity in the case will cease and up the number of juror alternates from two to three. Cahill noted that the 326 people selected to be part of the prospective jury pool, more than 60, were individually interviewed in person during the process. 326 people selected to be part of this prospective jury pool, 60 interviews, 15 people. The opening statements in the trial, which is being televised on Court TV. Oh, and I just talked about Court TV, too. <laughs> and streamed online are scheduled for March 29th. The evidentiary portion of the trial is expected to last up to four weeks and could include nearly 400 witnesses. Yeah, man. I seen that white dude kneel on the neck of George Floyd. He should go to prison. Rodney King. That's probably going to get me thrown off YouTube. Chauvin is charged with second-degree unintentional murder and second-degree manslaughter. A third-degree murder charge was reinstated against him during the jury selection process after the Minnesota Court of Appeals ruled that Judge Cahill erred when he dismissed the count in October and instructed him to reconsider the decision. Chauvin has pleaded not guilty to the charges. And once again, we went over and reviewed what all the charges were two weeks ago on this program. And I would plead not guilty too, and I don't think any one of them has an ability to stick. The 45-year-old Chauvin is being tried separately from the other former officers involved in Floyd's May 25th death. Uh, death rather. So we will definitely be... Well... Let me rephrase that. There is a good chance that there may be some crisis that comes up in the next couple weeks that we need to focus our attention on with 
laser accuracy so we don't pay attention to what's going on in the Chauvin trial because it's probably not going to go their way. But we will definitely uh, check in with this and make sure that everything is going free and fair and everything is happening the way it should be and definitely look into this. All right. From the Star Tribune, we'll just read briefly from this one here. With jury set, opening arguments on Monday, our next in Derek Chauvin trial. From Rochelle Olsen, uh, Olsen rather, and Paul Walsh. The final juror was selected Tuesday in the trial of fired Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin in the death of George Floyd. Court is now in recess until 9 a.m. Monday when the opening statements will be made by both sides. The fourth jury candidate interviewed Tuesday was the 15th and final juror chosen, but the juror, recently married, white male, accountant in his 20s, will be dropped from the panel if the first 14 show up for duty and the heavily guarded downtown Minneapolis courthouse. Hennepin County District Judge Peter Cahill, I've got hiccups, who is presiding, said he will keep 14 jurors, including two alternates, for the trial expected to last a month. Spacing requirements in the courtroom because of the COVID-19 pandemic don't allow for additional alternates. At the conclusion of the trial, the two alternates will be dismissed, and a dozen jurors will deliberate to see whether they can reach unanimous agreement on the three criminal accounts uh, Chauvin faces. The longtime officer, who was captured on a bystander video kneeling on Floyd's neck for more than nine minutes, is charged with second and third degree murder, as well as manslaughter. Three other fired Minneapolis police officers, J. Alexander Kewing, Thomas Lane, and Tao Thao, are expected to stand trial in August on charges of aiding and abetting murder and manslaughter. So, a lot of stuff going on with this here. A um, lot of stuff to see. And I do hope that the news cycle will let us sit back and see what goes on with this here because, I mean, I'm ready. I'm ready to see what's, I'm ready to see the conclusion of this. And I'm ready to see what the prosecutors have other than the video because the video, everything that we have seen, I can look at that and say that this is going to be an acquittal on all three. Just on the video, I mean... That's the only evidence I think we have at this point. Now, if there is additional evidence, then I want to see it. I know we had the leaked video from the Daily Mail that we actually watched on this program as well. And I cut up and did some sound for it for uh, um, the Red Net Show. Because you can't actually watch that on YouTube because you'll get your channel shut down if you try to show it. But we've looked through over the extended video too. And I want to see what the prosecution has. Because they can't do jack shit on what we've seen so far. I do want to see what the prosecution has. I'm not holding my breath, but I want to see what they have. So we will see what comes back out of this and where this goes. Reading now from Fox News. FBI to monitor Minneapolis Autonomous Zone in George Floyd Square amid Derek Chauvin trial. I'm putting them on notice, enough is enough, Minneapolis Police Chief says, about dismantling the autonomous zone from Danielle Wallace. The FBI is now helping the Minneapolis Police monitor an intersection renamed George Floyd Square that has since devolved into an autonomous zone that's brought record levels of violence, crime, and gun violence into the neighborhood since last May, as local residents and businesses pleaded for help. The intersection of East 38th Street and Chicago Avenue, where a bystander recorded the viral video that showed ex-Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin pressing his knee into Floyd's neck on May 25th of 2020, was first converted into a memorial and renamed George Floyd Square after his death. 
But concrete barricades set up by the city last year to protect demonstrators from traffic now act as the barriers to an autonomous zone. Co-opted by armed individuals declaring law enforcement are unwelcome as gang activity, drug dealing, and gun violence disrupt local business operations. Don't worry, it's a mostly peaceful protest, though. The current situation at 38th and Chicago is unacceptable and will not and must not be tolerated, Minneapolis Police Chief Medaria Arredondo said at a press conference Wednesday, announcing the FBI Minneapolis Field Office, U.S. Attorney's Office, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, which should be a convenience store, St. Paul Field Division, have now pledged resources and support. As the City Council has pushed to defund the Police Department over the past year, and amid jury selection and Chauvin's trial, police resources have been pulled from the neighborhood, and the National Police Association made a court filing last month on behalf of local residents to demand Minneapolis officials abide by the city charter in maintaining police patrols in the neighborhood. This is going to get fun. Violence in any part of our city must be addressed, and those contributing to the harm of our neighborhoods have to be held accountable, Arredondo said. We are going to restore peace and safety to that neighborhood, and we're going to do it collectively with the help and a force multiplier by our partners. We will not tolerate that any longer, and that intersection must be reopened. I just want to point something out here. Now, the Donald. Way back in July and August of last year, came out and said, enough is enough. Okay, I've got the National Guard on standby. I'm just waiting for Ted Wheeler. He's the new Lion Ted, okay? I'm waiting for Ted Wheeler to come out and say, okay, we accept your help. We can't just send people in there, but once they ask, they're ready to go. And it's the same with with Sleepy Timballs over Minnesota. I can't just send the National Guard in, but they're ready. They're standing ready to go in and help fix the situation that you have, okay? You just have to ask. And yet we heard crickets from Jenny Durkin, from Ted Wheeler, from Jay Inslee, from Tim Walls. We heard crickets all through the summer. Tony Evers finally got smart enough to get his fucking shit together. And say, okay, we need the help. We can't do this by ourselves. I don't give a lot of credit to Tony Evers, but he at least got his shit together and said, okay, this is this is out of hand. We need to do something about this. But you'll notice here that at this point, what does it say right there? The FBI, Minneapolis Field Office, U.S. Attorney's Office, District of Minnesota, and the Bureau of ATF are ready to go in. Federal government help to go in and start tearing this place apart. They're ready to accept the federal help at this point. And I bet you the National Guard gets called in on this too. But, you know, once again, the trial starts on the 29th, so we're going to be watching this one. We will see what happens with this. All right, let's keep going. Let's talk about Sleepy Joe. Biden taps Harris to lead on immigration amid border crisis from Jonathan Easley. President Biden has tapped Vice President Harris to lead the administration's efforts to stem the flow of migrants seeking entry to the U.S. at the southern border and to form partnerships with Mexico and the Northern Triangle countries aimed at addressing the root causes in the surge of immigration. 
which means California's getting new labor. Harris will spearhead the White House's immigration portfolio so that Mexico and the Northern Triangle will know. There's one single file dedicated to this effort, a senior administration official said. Biden announced the move on Wednesday from the White House after meeting with Harris, Health and Human Services Secretary Xavier Becerra, Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, and several other immigration advisors. I've, I've asked her, the, the VP today, because she's the most qualified person to do it, to, to lead our efforts with Mexico and the Northern Triangle and the countries that are going to need help in stemming the movement of so many folks. What's my line? Stemming the migration of the southern border. Don't make me do stuff. Biden said, a White House official said Harris's work will run along two tracks. First, to address the swell of migrants at the southern border. That's easy. Biden said he was going to reverse everything that Trump did, then come on in. We got a place for you. And the second, to build long-term partnerships with the Central American countries, the people are fleeing. So, globalism. She'll work on the first goal of stemming the flow of irregular immigrants to the U.S., but at the same time, the real goal is to establish a strategic partnership with these countries based on the respect and shared values, the official said. Harris's appointment comes at a critical time for the Biden administration, which is struggling to handle a surge of migrant children seeking entry into the U.S. The Biden admin is turning away many of the thousands of migrants who have made the dangerous journey from Mexico and the Northern Triangle countries of Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. But the U.S. under Biden is accepting unaccompanied minors who have arrived in record numbers. The U.S. is in custody of at least 15,000 migrant children, and the Biden admin is struggling to provide housing and care for all of them. 15,000. Thousands are being kept at Border Patrol cells meant for adults for days longer than is legally allowed. Photos of the facility show packed cells of migrant children sleeping in crowded pods on hard floors underneath space blankets. Biden on Wednesday blamed the surge on former President Trump's immigration policy, but acknowledged, It's our responsibility to deal with it humanely and stop what's happening, okay? It's the, it's the last guy's fault. I inherited the mess, I promise. The Biden administration is trying to quickly move the children out of Border Patrol facilities and into housing overseen by HHS, where they have access to educational, health, and legal services. So, a lot of stuff going over there, but never fear, Kamala Harris is going to be the one leading this one. Aren't you guys excited? All right, I've got one from Politico for you. Biden under fire for border wall cash freeze. This was very interesting because it looks like... Um, yeah, that might have been illegal. I don't usually do the taglines of these, but I like this one here. An unfavorable rating from the Government Accountability Office would bolster Republicans in branding Biden as a rule breaker as they blame him for the surge of migrants and unaccompanied children at the southern border. Well, yes. From Caitlin Emma. 
Like Donald Trump, Joe Biden has made a border wall promise he might not have the legal authority to keep. Uh... On his first day in office, Biden hit the pause on billions of dollars set to be spent on his predecessors. Long-touted barrier between the U.S. and Mexico, while his administration figured out the next steps for the money. Now the Government Accountability Office is launching a review to, deter to determine whether the new president broke the law by freezing the money in violation of budget rules designed to keep Congress in control of the cash flow, the federal watchdog confirmed this week. An unfavorable ruling from the Government Accountability Office would bolster Republicans in branding Biden as a rule breaker as they blame him for the surge of migrants and unaccompanied children at the southern border. The pause on spending directly contributed to that flood of border crossers, Senate Republicans said in their plea last week for the Government Accountability Office to opine on the issue. More than 70 House Republicans followed Tuesday in asking the GAO opinion, which the watchdog typically provides whenever a member of Congress requests one. Besides, Republicans say Biden should know better after more than 30 years as a senator, as Senator Roy Blunt, uh, Roy Blunt rather, chair of the Senate Republican Policy Committee, put it. He was in Congress for a long time, Blunt said in an interview. He knows it's the Congress's job to authorize how the money is spent and the president's job to spend it efficiently. Even if the GAO decides Biden has illegally halted border wall funding, he is unlikely to face any formal punishment because he's a Democrat. Particularly not the blowback and impeachment Trump went through because the House doesn't have a simple majority after the former president halted Ukraine aid without Congress's say-so. That is not what happened. That is 100% not what happened. The White House also notes that Biden holds different, uh, Biden's hold differs in several key ways from Trump's move to lock up the foreign assistance, which GAO deemed illegal last year. Biden's proclamation in January set this process in motion in a public, transparent way while directing agencies to comply with appropriations law, an OMB spokesperson said. The probe highlights the challenge presidents have historically faced in fulfilling campaign promises that require money to be spent or suspended at odds with Congress's intent. During his administration, Trump shifted money away from accounts for big things like military construction projects to pay for the border barrier as he struggled to get congressional Democrats to agree to the funding levels needed to build the Big, beautiful, well, he promised his supporters. Now Biden is facing trouble in trying to turn off that funding spigot after saying last year that not another foot of wall will be constructed during his administration. The Biden admin has really got to be careful about doing stuff like this because otherwise they're just going to be doing the exact same thing the Trump did. Just at the other end of the policy spectrum, said Dylan Hedler Gaudet, a manager at the Watchdog Group Project on government oversight. So, a lot of stuff going on here, and, you know, like I said, Politico is trying to come out and say that, well, Biden really didn't do anything wrong, so he's not going to face any impeachment. Instead of coming out with the actual answer here of impeachment is all a partisan farce, and Nancy Pelosi is going to look the other way because she has control of the House of Representatives right now. So there's no way in hell she's going to try and push up a sham impeachment against President Biden. And really, honestly, if McCarthy tried to do the same thing, it would be a sham impeachment. I'm sorry. I didn't believe in the first one, and I'm going to be intellectually consistent. It would be a sham impeachment once again. So that's what we're seeing from this. We will probably see where this goes as we go. 
I've got another one here from the Hill for you guys. Arizona Town declares state of emergency over border crisis. From Joseph Choi. An Arizona mayor on Tuesday declared a state of emergency over the number of migrants being dropped off in his town by federal authorities. Border Patrol let us know they are going to be dropping migrants that have been detained for 72 hours in our town, which we really didn't understand because we have nothing here. Gila Bend Mayor Chris Riggs told Fox Business, We have no charity organizations that can help, no non-governmental organizations that a lot of larger cities and towns do have to assist these people. Riggs' declaration reportedly came one day after 16 migrants were dropped off at a park in Gila Bend, a town of 2,000 people that does not have a hospital or a shelter. Yeah, that seems weird, actually. By U.S. Customs and Border Protection, Riggs said that he had been told by CBP that these drop-offs would be a regular occurrence on an indefinite basis. To drop people basically in the middle of nowhere, it's 30 miles to the next type of town, and that's 30 miles of open desert. So especially come July and August, we're going to be finding bodies, Riggs told ArizonaFamily.com. Well, maybe, maybe not, because these people have already crossed 500 miles of desert, so... That may be or may not be a thing. It depends on whose farm they cross, whose land they cross, and whose crops they try to uh, appropriate. The mayor said that he and his wife used loaned vans to drive the recent migrants to Phoenix Welcome Center themselves in order to ensure they had a place to stay. I can't tell, tolerate the thought of little kids having to walk across the hot desert. He said, calling on Maricopa County government, Arizona state government, and Biden admin for help. The Hill has reached out to CBP and the Department of Homeland Security for comment. The Biden admin is facing criticism for its handling of the border crisis, with tens of thousands of unaccompanied minors being held in the U.S. custody, many for longer than is legally permitted. Reporters have not been permitted inside border facilities to document the conditions. Yeah, that's kind of fucking shady. If you're going to expect... Now, we're at catch and release right now, and Border Patrol is probably going to start dropping people into cities like this. But they should be doing so at least in a place that does have the charity and the infrastructure to take care of these people. This little town does not. They're, like he said, there's not even a hospital there. These people don't know anybody. They've never met anybody in the town, and I'm sure that there's some good neighbors down in Arizona that'll at least make sure that the people stay alive, but even to that point, you're taking off the shelves of your constituents in order to feed people that really, I'm sorry, shouldn't be here in the first place. This is cruel. This is not something that should be done. And I don't know who dropped the fucking ball on this, if it was Border Patrol, and if it was Border Patrol, I'm ready to call them out on this here. I'm not going to throw this squarely on the shoulders of Biden if this is going on outside of his purview. This is cruel. This is horrible. This is horrifying that they're doing this to people. Like I said, at least take them to fucking Phoenix where there's infrastructure in place to take care of some of this. And a hospital. And a food bank. This whole thing with the border is just out of control at this point. 
let's do a little bit of review on a story we talked about yesterday. Duckworth and Hirono change course on Biden nominees after assurances on AAPI representation. I'm pretty sure that this had to do with uh, Charles U. Schumer coming down and saying, you better fucking do this or, or we're going to have problems and you're not going to win your re-election. From Alan Smith, Sahil Kapoor, and Frank Thorpe V. Senator Tammy Duckworth of Illinois reversed course on vowing to object to President Biden's nominees because of lack of Asian American and Pacific Islander representation Tuesday evening after a spokesperson from her office said she received assurances from the Biden administration. Senator Duckworth appreciates the Biden admin's assurances that it will do much more to elevate AAPI voices and perspectives at the highest levels of government, including appointing AAPI senior White House official to represent the community, secure the confirmation of the AAPI appointments, and the advanced policy proposals that are relevant and important to the community, said Ben Garmisa, a spokesperson for Duckworth. Accordingly, she will not stand in the way of President Biden's qualified nominees, which will include more AAPI leaders, Garmisa said. Duckworth, who is Asian American, had been joined by Senator Maisie Hirono, who also said that she would vote to block nominees for lack of AAPI representation. She, too, has changed her position late on Tuesday. Lockstep. You are not allowed to dissent if you are a Democrat in the Senate. Lockstep. I'm sure there was other pressure that was coming along with this. Pressure going on to the people of Hawaii and the people of Illinois to come out and say, you get in line, you fucking play ball, or we are going to make your district suffer. Your state suffer, I should say, not districts. Get in line. We can't have any of this shit. I just find it interesting that we just talked about this yesterday, and now they've suddenly turned around and reverse course on this. All right, let's keep going. More Biden news. A lot of Biden news today. <clears throat> Biden admin urges Supreme Court to let cops enter homes and seize guns without a warrant. I don't see this ending well. The U.S. Supreme Court on Wednesday will hear oral arguments in Caniglia v. Strom, a case that could have sweeping consequences for policing, due process, and mental health, with the Biden admin and attorneys general from nine states urging the high court to uphold a warrantless gun confiscation. This is not going to end well. But what would ultimately become a major Fourth Amendment case began with an elderly couple spat over a coffee mug. In August of 2015, 68-year-old uh, Edward Coniglia joked to Kim, his wife of 22 years, that he didn't use certain coffee mug after his brother-in-law had used it because he might catch a case of dishonesty. That quick, uh, quip quickly spiraled into an hour-long argument, growing exhausting from the victoring. Edward stormed into his bedroom, grabbed an unloaded handgun, and put it on the kitchen table in front of his wife. With a flair for the dramatic, he then asked, Would you just shoot me and get, it, uh, get me out of my misery? Perhaps unsurprisingly, the tactic backfired, and the two continued to argue. Eventually, Edward took a drive to cool off, but when he returned, their argument flared up once again. This time, Kim decided to leave the house and spend the night at a motel. The next day, Kim phoned home. No answer. 
worried, she called the police in Cranston, Rhode Island, and asked them to perform a well check on her husband and to escort her home. When they arrived, the officer spoke with Edward on the back deck. According to an incident report, he seemed normal, was calm for the most part, and even said he would never commit suicide. However, none of the officers had asked Edward any questions about the factors relating to his risk of suicide, risk of violence, or prior misuse of firearms. Edward had no criminal record and no history of violence or self-harm. In fact, one of the officers later admitted he did not consult any specific psychological or psychiatric criteria or medical professionals for his decision that day. Still, police were convinced that Edward could hurt himself and insisted that he head to the local hospital for a psyche bell. After refusing and insisted that his mental health wasn't their business, Edward agreed only after police falsely promised they would, wouldn't seize his guns while he was gone. Compounding the dishonesty, police then told Kim that Edward had consented to the confiscation. Believing the seizures were approved by her husband, Kim led the officers to the two handguns the couple owned, which were promptly seized. Even though Edwards was immediately discharged from the hospital, police only returned the firearms after he filed a civil rights lawsuit against them. Critically, when the police seized the guns, they didn't claim it was an emergency or to prevent the imminent danger. Instead, the officers argued their actions were a form of community caretaking, a narrow exception to the Fourth Amendment's warrant requirement. First created by the Supreme Court nearly 50 years ago, the community caretaking exception was designed for cases involving impounded cars and highway safety on the grounds that police are often called car accidents to remove nuisances like inoperable vehicles on public roads. Both the district and appellate court upheld the seizures as reasonable under the community caretaking exception. In deciding Caniglia's case, the First Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals acknowledged that the doctrine's reach outside the motor vehicle context is ill-defined. Nevertheless, the court decided to extend that doctrine to cover private homes, ruling that the officers did not exceed the proper province of their community caretaking responsibilities. That is a lot of legal jargon and a lot of statistics to say that, no, they had no fucking business doing this. And now Biden and the people around Biden are urging the Supreme Court to, no, no, just just do this for safety, okay? Just think of the children. Think of the children. And it's, it's not that I don't think that there should be a reasonable emergency standard to seize a firearm in the case of a mental health emergency. If the police do have to get called, because you're waving a gun around saying, I'm going to kill the next motherfucker that walks in here. Or I'm going to blow my own fucking brains out. If you're in your house waving your fucking pistol around doing that, then yes, the police should seize your weapons, at least temporarily, until they can get everything settled down. It's part of the reason that body cams need to be involved in all this too. Because then they can reasonably say, see, see what's on my body cam? This is what happened. That was very suggestive. I'm sorry. I'm really not sorry. But the, the fact remains regardless. There's a complete difference between what was happening here and what happens in the situations that I put off of this. But it's what this goes to further down the line. When you take a restriction away from the government, they never stop there. And from the way I'm reading this up off the top, that could have sweeping consequences for policing due process and mental health. Which, of course, Forbes is going to try and frame this as, well, this is going to make more people harm themselves and more people harm the people around them. Which, in reality, 
without a warrant. Now your local police department, which luckily I live in a rural area and police have a very, very good sense of self-preservation here. Excuse me, not so much in some of the bigger cities, but here there's a real sense of self-preservation. They can just come in and say, you don't own guns anymore. You understand me? No. The Fourth Amendment says I don't have to have a warrant. We are devolving into the kind of government that we left over 200 years ago. And nobody's batting an eye about it. But that's what we see. Let's keep going. From the blaze. This was interesting. I thought you guys would like this one here. And I've actually got two different ways that this is framed. And then I've actually got the document here, which I will put in the Discord and the Gilded. So you can read the decision from the Ninth Circuit. It's about 215 pages. I have not read through it yet. I just found it this morning. But I will be reading through this and understanding as well. The Ninth Circuit Court rules that states can restrict people from openly carrying guns in public. From Carlos Garcia. The Ninth Circuit ruled that state governments can restrict people from openly carrying guns in public, effectively ending a person's right to bear arms outside of their home. The court issued an end-bank opinion on the case of Young versus Hawaii over a lawsuit by a Hawaiian resident who argued that the restriction set by the state on his ability to openly carry a firearm was against the Constitution. A district court ruled against George Young, but a three-panel judge of the Ninth Circuit then decided in his favor. The latest development came from the full 11-member panel, or en banc. The appeals court cited what they saw was a long-standing tradition in the English and American law that government could prohibit certain weapons from entering public spaces as means of providing domestic tranquility and forestalling domestic violence. The dissent opinion criticized the ruling for whittling down the right to bear arms to a mere inkblot. The National Rifle Association issued a tweet vowing to fight against this decision. This was not an NRA case, but we are exploring all options to rectify this, the NRA said. Joseph Greenlee, the Director of Constitutional Studies at the Firearms Police Coalition, criticized the ruling in a statement Wednesday. We are very disappointed in the outcome of this case. As the dissent pointed out, the Ninth Circuit has effectively eliminated the word bear from the Constitution. Greenlee said, now that tens of millions of Americans have been told for the first time ever that they have no right to carry a firearm, it is more important than ever for the Supreme Court to address the issue and define the right to bear arms. I 100% fully agree to this. Now, I am actually open to the idea that the states can tell you when and how they want you to carry your firearms. And you should actually be lobbying to your government to change them more to a more free situation. In Wisconsin, we have open carry. But I know better than to ever open carry in Madison. I know better than that. There's a city ordinance that prohibits it, first and foremost. And not only that, but if you did open carry for whatever reason in the city of Madison, you would have the entire population of the University of Wisconsin out there breathing down your neck saying, what do you got to carry? 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 Not touching you, not violent or anything. They would just be surrounding you, calling you a fascist and an evil person and probably a Nazi if you did that. 
There are some cultural cues that go along with this as well. Know your battles and pick your battles. And some of this has changed throughout the years too. I was just informed, and I didn't even know this, that in Wisconsin, you no longer have to have your weapon cased and unloaded in a vehicle, as you did when I was in high school. That was actually a big thing. I One day, I'll tell the story here just to give you an idea of what the regulations stated and how they went. One day when I was hunting, I needed to go from one end of the farm to the other. And I mean, no cased and unloaded firearm, uh, cased and, uncased and unloaded firearms in a vehicle. That was the standard when I was in high school. So, and it was a cold ass fucking day that day too. So I needed to get across the farm, needed to get on a vehicle. My case was down at the barn. I was on the one end of the farm. So I took my snow pants off, took the action out of my uh, gun and shoved my gun into the snow pants and said, there, it's fucking cased. Let's go. It's kind of like the mask, you know, you pull the t-shirt up over your mouth and oh, look, I'm wearing a mask. It's kind of the same idea, but, you know, get around it the way that you need to get around it. <clears throat> so I, I recognize that this is a state's rights thing. Um, I would love to see more people lobby their states to get some of these draconian, you may not carry, you may not bear arms things raised above you. But of course, the blaze is going to put this in the worst possible light possible, saying that the government's coming for your right to keep and bear arms. Well, that's something that's happening at your local state level, and you need to talk to your legislator and your governor at that point, which you should. You absolutely should, because you should try to get them to overturn this. I'm actually in the Ninth Circuit's favor on this one. I don't think it's rights that, that states are be, uh, being able to do this to people. But this should push more outrages at the state houses. All right, I've got another one here from the San Francisco Chronicle talking about the same thing. U.S. Appeals Court says, no, it's not okay to carry guns in public without a license. Oi, mate, you got a license for that freedom? And of course, this is going to pop, polish this up in the best possible way, looking for the Ninth Circuit. See, no, they're just saying that you have to have a license to do this. It's, it's, it's not infringing, just go get the license. From Bob Agelko, states can prohibit people from openly carrying guns in public, a federal appeals court ruled on Wednesday, adding a voice to a heated issue that the U.S. Supreme Court may soon address. In a 7-4 ruling, the 9th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in San Francisco upheld a Hawaii law that bans residents from openly carrying firearms without a license, which is issued only to those who can show they need the weapon to protect their life or property. Police and members of the armed forces are accepted. California bans openly carrying firearms in most of the state. Sheriffs can issue a license to carry concealed weapons, but they are virtually unavailable in their state's most populous counties. Yeah, I don't doubt that at all. Our review of more than 700 years of English and American legal history reveals a strong theme. Government has the power to regulate arms in the public square, Judge J. Bybee, one of the appeals court's most conservative members, said in the majority opinion. There is no right to carry arms openly in public, nor is there any such right within the scope of the Second Amendment. Guess you missed the shall not be infringed part of it. Bybee said it remains true today, as it was centuries ago, 
that the mere presence of such weapons presents a terror to the public, and that the widespread carrying of handguns would strongly suggest that local and state governments have lost control of their public areas. I'm going to call that a stretch too, actually. In dissent, Judge Diarmuid O. Scanlane said the right to keep and bear arms declared in the Second Amendment must include at the least the right to carry a firearm openly for self-defense. He was joined by Judges Consuelo Callahan, Sandra Ikuta, and Ryan Nelson. This is a states' rights thing. This is a states' rights thing. And I, I hope that all the states get on board, realize how stupid it is to come out and say that you can at least open carry. Yes, I understand it's intimidating, but we went through it for dozens of years at the beginning of this country. People just openly carried everywhere they went anyway. And there was less gun violence then than there is now. So I do hope the states come around and some of them come out and put out laws that say, absolutely, we will never restrict this. I have no faith in some of these states. But we will watch this one closely because I'm sure that this one is headed for the Supreme Court at this point. All right, I've got one for CNN. This is, we're not going to read into this here, but this is the opinion and dissents in the case that we just talked about here. It's about 215 pages. I will tweet this out. I will put this in the Discord and I will put this in the Gilded. So you guys can go back and read what it was that the Ninth Circuit said that of the selectively edited clips that both the Blaze and the San Francisco Chronicle put out. Educate yourselves, see what it is that they're going to do, and see what's going to be taken to the Supreme Court at this point. All right, I've got one from the Daily Wire. Biden, there's not a single thing a man can do that a woman can't do as well or better. Kind of like that picture right there, going along with it. From the Daily Wire News. President Biden claimed during a White House event on Wednesday that there's nothing a man can do that a woman can't do just as well or better. Biden made the remarks at the South Cir uh, Court Auditorium at an event marking Equal Pay Day. Because the government official Twitter account can put out blatant propaganda at this point. There's a lot to do. But together, we can ensure that our daughters have all the same rights and opportunities as our sons, Biden said. And if we're able to do this, it'll be transformational to our nation. That's the goal. That's what this is all about. That's what this team, all of you, are all about. Let me make one more point. You know, I told my daughters, granddaughters, from the time they were old enough to understand what, what I was saying, and I mean it. There's not a single thing a man can do that a woman can't do as well or better, Biden continued. Not a single thing. Let's listen to Biden. You know, I've told my daughters, granddaughters, from the time they were old enough to understand what I was saying. And I mean it. There's not a single thing a man can do that a woman can't do as well or better. Not a single thing. I was among the first senators ever to appoint a woman to the Naval Academy. I was just able to, as President of the United States, appoint two women as four-star generals who now are combatant. You know, 
So, Biden was widely mocked over the statement. Ben Shapiro, host of Daily Wire's The Ben Shapiro Show, posted a screenshot of a headline from a news article that stated, FC Dallas under-15 boy squad beat the U.S. women's national team in scrimmage. Australian political commentator Rita Panahi wrote, Such patronizing bullshit. Women can do plenty of things better than men, but there's no denying biological reality that men are stronger and faster. How many women want this job? Fox News contributor Molly Hemingway wrote, What a preposterous and sad claim. Men and women are different in many ways, and that's a beautiful and good thing. And we'll do the last one with Ali Stuckey. Political commentator Ellie Stuckey wrote, Maybe I'm weird, but I just don't need this patronizing nonsense to feel great about being a woman. I'm so glad there are things that men can do that I can't. I'm also pretty thrilled that I can do things that men can't, like carrying and delivering babies. I don't want to be like a man. So much going on with this one here. Um, one of the things that I do want to point out there is... Rita Panahi says, how many women want this job? And that is a fair statistic to cite because there aren't a lot of women who do want this job. But if the women do want that job, they can go and get it. They have every opportunity to go out and apply for and work towards getting that job. They can. It's just so many of them don't do that. But that was kind of funny. The under-15 boys squad beat the U.S. women's national team in scrimmage. Um, it's the same thing with this here. Oh, I am not saying for a second that it's impossible for one anecdotal woman to do what this dude is doing. It's entirely possible to do. What I'm saying with this is that they have the opportunity. Yes, they have the opportunity to go out, try out, strength train, train to get to this point to where they can lift the world's strongest man barbell. They've got the opportunity every day to go out and try for it. They don't have the opportunity to have it happen for them. And it's the same thing we talk about. They're talking about equity right now. Equality of outcome. Everybody has to be exactly the same on the end of the spectrum. We keep talking about that left and right out of the government now because that's our big thing is equity. Not equality, equity. When we should be focusing on equality because everybody does have the equality of opportunity. Look at Ben Carson. One of the worst inner city upbringings in his life from a mother who couldn't read and now he is the top surgeon in the country. It wasn't handed to him. He had to work his ass off for that. So, yeah, like I said, if they if they want the opportunity to train and try to do that, then absolutely they should. But they have the same opportunities. How they use the opportunities and what their biolog uh, biology allows them to do on the opportunities, that's on them. But they have the opportunities. Uh, let's see. I have got one from Minnesota, CBS Local. Talking about my state, GOP-controlled Wisconsin Assembly, OK's 2020 election investigation. From WCCO-TV. 
The Republican-controlled Wisconsin Assembly passed a resolution on Tuesday to authorize an investigation into the 2020 presidential election that Joe Biden narrowly won in the state. The resolution, opposed by Democrats, is needed to give the committee authorization if it decides to issue subpoenas and compel testimony and gather documents, said Representative Joe Sanfilippo. He is the vice chairman of the Assembly Elections and Campaign Committee that would conduct the probe. Biden defeated Trump by fewer than 21,000 votes in Wisconsin. This election outcome was affirmed by a partial recount, and several lawsuits brought by Trump and his allies alleging wrongdoing were rejected by the state and federal courts, including the U.S. Supreme Court. No significant problems were found with the state's voting machines after audits and recounts in both 2016 and 2020. The resolution authorizing an investigation passed on a 58-35 party vote line, with all Republicans in support and all Democrats against. It passed after Republicans last month ordered an audit of the election results. Republicans say they wanted to gather more evidence to see if laws were broken, but Democrats said that if they were trying to score political points, undermining the public's faith in elections and insulting election clerks, poll workers, and others who ran the election. Earlier this month, Republicans raised new questions about how the election was administered in Green Bay. The Assembly Elections Committee held a hearing on those issues, but did not invite any election officials accused of wrongdoing to testify. Green Bay Mayor, uh, Mayor Eric Genrich called it a Stalinist Joe trial and defended his city's handling of the election. Well, if you got nothing to hide, then let the government investigate itself into oblivion here. But we're looking at the fact that right now, they want a certain outcome off of this, and one man who got wildly popular somehow upended a lot of the agenda that they've been trying to push through forever. Like I said, we thought that we were going to go into 2016 with a Clinton versus a Bush. God, that's a scary thought. We thought for sure we were going into 2016 with that, and instead we got the evil orange man who tweets mean things, but... Definitely didn't have a border crisis like we saw, uh, like we see right now. So there's a lot of stuff going on with this. I'd actually like to see what the investigation turns up, and I will be the first one to say once again: if there's nothing there, then there's nothing there, and we move on from this after this. Investigate, absolutely. I want transparency in the government. I want to see what the government has on its records, on its roles. And anytime the government's going to investigate itself, I'm a happy guy. So we will see what happens with this. I have got one more here. And then we will do a thing that I like and a thing that I hate and head on out of here. From CBS Sports. Washington team president Jason Wright says football team name may remain past the 2021 season. That's right. The Washington football team might be permanent. From Jeff Kerr. The Washington football team name is starting to grow on fans in the DMV area despite being the only franchise in the four major American sports without a nickname. That's just fine with the team president, Jason Wright, as the franchise is strongly considering making the WFT name permanent. There are a set of folks that have warmed the Washington football team, Wright said to ESPN's John Keem. Some of the things that are emerging from that are the Washington football team has something that ties deeply to our history. It feels that it isn't jettisoning all the things that we have been in the past, Whereas something that's completely new might feel that way. It's important for a substantial part of our fan base to feel that this is a continuation of something versus a complete reset. Something brand new. 
The Washington football team name will remain in 2021 as the franchise will choose a permanent name in 2022. Washington will continue to accept fan submissions on the new name and logo until April 5th with the new name or the current one to be selected as early as the 2021 NFL season. The team will keep the colors of burgundy and gold no matter what the new nickname will be. All of this because some white liberals in college said that it was offensive that they were called the Redskins. Just make your team name a barcode at this point because you are nothing but a generic shell of what you used to be. And this is coming from somebody who doesn't even watch football anymore because they put too much woke shit on the fucking field. But there you are, the Washington football team. It might be a permanent thing. All right, uh, that was it for the news for the day. The last thing that we do on a Thursday is a thing that I like and a thing that I hate. And then we head on out for the day and go about our days. So, thing that I like today, in the air of all the we found the shrimp in the cereal box drama that I don't even know what the fuck is going on about because I don't care about washed up 90s celebrities and whoever the fuck they're married to. But uh, Brady Leonard, who just agreed to be on the 24-hour live stream, by the way, uh, apparently found this in his cereal box. And I mean, this is getting out of hand, guys. This is getting out of hand. The weird stuff that we're finding in the cereal boxes, this is, this is too far. <laughs> I was entertained by this, very much so. Have you ever, guys ever found anything weird in your cereal box? Alright, that's the thing I like today. Now for the thing that I hate. So this comes from Representative Mark Pocan up out of here in Wisconsin, talking about an Amazon News felt the need to uh, reply to this guy as well. Um, Mark Pocan is quote-tweeting Dave Clark, who says, Welcome Senator Bernie Sanders to Birmingham and appreciate his push for a progressive workplace. I often say we're a Bernie Sanders of employers, and that's not quite right because we actually deliver a progressive workplace. Uh, talking about a Business Insider article about Bernie Sanders going to visit the Amazon plant that they're trying desperately to unionize down in Alabama. And Mark Pocan points out very effectively here, paying workers $15 an hour doesn't make you a, progress a progressive workplace when you union bust and make your workers urinate in water bottles. And Amazon News decided they needed to come out and reply to this saying, you don't really believe that peeing in bottles a thing, do you? If that were true, nobody would work for us. The truth is that we have over a million incredible employees around the world who are proud of what they do and have great wages and health care from day one. We hope that you can enact policies that get other employers to offer what we already do. Well, number one, that's going to be the private market. But number two, what Mark Pocan is referencing is actually something I'm quite familiar with. Based on the fact that Amazon, right before I moved out of Kenosha, decided that they needed to put a brand new shiny facility for distribution right on the interstate just outside of uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin. And I've got a cousin that worked there. I don't know if he still does. I know that he worked there for a while, but a lot of the people that I knew, especially given the fact that five years of my life working there was in a grocery store, and I forged a lot of relationships there as well, 
went on from the grocery store scene to go work at the distribution center because it was it, it was a low-skilled work so they didn't need to go to gateway tech or they didn't need to go to have a bachelor's degree to go work there and it paid well it paid really really well especially for given the area and the time you know still coming up out of the recession that was like right at the tail end of the recession amazon decided to build that there but i have heard nothing but abysmal conditions about that place just absolutely horrifying conditions from a lot of people who've worked there that it is I don't know if it's as far as peeing in bottles it might be I don't know if it's really as that far I've never found a confirmation of that but they for the $15 an hour they paid from what I understand they treat their workers like garbage and this is coming from the workers And one of the things that goes along with this, and I commented back on this post, I don't know where my comment went, but I did comment back on my post uh, to somebody with this, is the fact that Amazon did kind of take advantage of Kenosha when they moved in. Now, I'm glad that they brought good jobs back to Kenosha. I really am glad. And we've seen other various ports of uh, interest show up around the area. You know, you've got a new gas station with new restaurants. You've got a new Culver's out in the area. You see new gas stations, new other potential interest businesses pop up for the drivers who are coming in and out of the distribution facility, who are going in and out from there so they can stop and get their coffee, their fuel for their van, their other stuff. And it's bringing other business in. You see more department stores, and you have seen other businesses take interest in the area, other factories, other low-skilled work wages take interest in the area. What Amazon did in the area actually did start to build that back up, but at the cost of treating their employees like absolute fucking garbage, well, they did. Because at the time that they came in, there were no good jobs in Kenosha anymore. You could go to work for Uline, I guess, or one of the big warehouses shipping and receiving back and forth. You had those good jobs that were in Kenosha proper, but for the most part, you were working at the gas station, you were working at the car repair shop, there was no truck repair shop. You were working at the Walmart, the grocery store, or you were commuting to either Chicago or Milwaukee to get a good job. Maybe Racine, but Chicago or Milwaukee definitely to go and get a good job at the time. And then they came in and started saying, oh, well, we'll pay you all this money. Come in here, work for us. It'll be great. You're going to love it. Think of all this money you're going to make. And these people either gave up a great job that they had in Milwaukee to come and have the shorter commute time, or went up from their grocery store job to go and make some more money. So I could see where people see that Amazon took advantage of Kenosha. And that's the thing that I hate is that they're coming out here. And somebody else commented off of this, and I don't see it that uh, that one on here either, but uh, that Amazon News really has the whole Bezos boot down their fucking throat at this point, which they kind of do as well. So where it goes from there, I don't know. Hopefully some of the attention comes onto this and public pressure pushes Amazon to improve their worker conditions, but we'll see what happens there. And that's going to be it for the day here. So let's head on out of here. Let's get some music up. Let's change the scene up and let's go. So thanks everybody who came by and chatted with us today. Remember, if you get those messages in by the end of the day, if you're just lurking right now, 
then I will take the time and thank you at the end of the week here. I always give a special thank you to everybody who comes and chats in the live chat on a Friday. So looking forward to doing that for you guys as well. Otherwise, we will be back here tomorrow when I will read the live chat tomorrow. So definitely we'll do that and hopefully see you guys here for that. Otherwise, make sure that you do come and hang out with us on the 17th for the charity stream that's coming up for suicide prevention. I know that we had to throw the Fs up yesterday for the CEO of Texas Roadhouse. That was for a medical condition, but still, it's sad to see that somebody had to get so far that he felt he had no other options than to end his own life. And I do hope that we can take some time on the 17th to raise some money to help other people, counsel people, so they know that there are other options than that option as well. So hope to see you then. Otherwise, hope to see you on Friday. Until then, I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary.